Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. I get the privilege of closing out our marriage series. Um, we've had such an amazing series from Pastor Michael to Mike, Pastor Michael and Gabby to Pastor Stephen Kiola last week. Uh, just been an amazing, amazing series. And our, our key verse for the series is Hebrews 13, verse 4, that it says that marriage should be held in honor among all and that the marriage bed should be undefiled and that God judges the sexually immoral and adulterous. So if this is your first time to City Church today... <laughs> Guess what you get to hear about today? Holiness. So the series is being called Held and Healed, and I'm going to add to the end of that, Held, Healed, and Holy. Now, this isn't a popular opinion, but I believe that God wants us to be holy and live in holiness. I also uh, would, would argue that, that sometimes we get really skittish when we talk about sex in church. It's like, oh, you know, why are we talking about that? Tell me how awesome I am. Um, but... But the world is talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. And so why don't we look through a biblical worldview as how does God see this thing? Because he created it. We believe that God created sex and he has a purpose for it. Um, and so let's lean in today because I'm excited to talk about this. I'm excited to, to bring some clarity to some issues and just bring some things and also call us to a, a higher level of living. Um, I remember growing up because my parents were pastors and strict, right? That's how it goes when your parents are pastors. You can't get, and they like have the Holy Spirit, so you can't get away with anything. <laughs> it's the worst. I would do something, my dad would be like, something happened. I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, no, nothing happened. He'd ask me a million questions, and then I'd break down crying. I'd be like, all right, I'm in sin. Um, so like, I remember praying like, God, I just wish I had parents who didn't care, you know? I just wish I could do whatever I wanted. Uh, but then all reality, we don't actually mean that, do we? I love that my parents cared because their boundaries, though at the time I thought they were restrictive, I look back and I see that they were, I see that they were protecting. And so the same is with God. Sometimes we're like, I, God, I just don't want you to care how I live. Just, you know, forgive me. Um, but when we look back on it, we actually see that God's boundaries and borders are for our protection, not for our restriction. And that if we can live within those boundaries and borders, guess what? We can live a life that is something other, that is something that is distinct from people that are living apart from Christ. And so we're going to go into probably the, the longest discourse on, on sex and marriage um, in the Bible, and that's 1 Corinthians 6 and, and 7. So we're going to do a lot of scripture reading. Are you guys ready? I'm the director of the Bible College Show. We have to read a lot of scriptures. This is kind of how it's got to go. Um, so we're going to go through a good chunk of scripture. And we're going to see how does God see sex, both for those who are single, amen? Single people, you're going to get some word today, amen? We've gotten vision. We've gotten, hey, this is what marriage should look like. But I actually want to talk to our single people today and how you can live right now. And I believe it's going to bring healing and, and restoration and then marriage uh, and, and marriage as well. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. Are you guys ready? Yes. All right, it's going to shock you. I'm going to be honest. Some of this language, you're going to be like, oh, is that in the Bible? It is. Um, here we go. Are you ready? It says, and do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the uh, idolaters, not, nor the adulterous, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, not, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. First of all, I'm going to pause right there. We, we like read a whole list. And sometimes in Christianity, we like to pick one or two of those and be like, see, don't do that. It's like, dude, you've done all the other ones. All right. So let's relax on that for a sec. Verse 11, it goes right here. And such were some of you. What a powerful verse. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, and in the name of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. See, Paul is writing to a church that is a dumpster fire. It's wild. It's crazy. They're in absolute disarray in Corinth. They've allowed philosophies of the world to bleed into the church. They've allowed practices of what's going on and, and, and things are getting absolutely crazy. And he's focusing in on some really damaging philosophies that really go hand in hand. And one is that we can live how we want in our body and it has no effect on our spirit. They believe that our body was just a means of pleasure. It was just a machine. It was just kind of, you, you get what you need to get, but it doesn't actually affect your soul or your spirit at all. It was a philosophy that, that, that bl- turned into Gnosticism, which really they don't believe in that the body is even valuable, that the key to life is to separate from the body. So what you do with it does not matter. It doesn't affect your in life. It doesn't affect your spirit, your soul, your emotions. It's just pleasure. And so Paul is beginning to write to them, correcting this issue because he knows and we know that it actually has a deep, profound effect on your soul and on your spirit by how you live in your body. And so he's elevating the view of our body. He's elevating the view of how we live our life and that God actually cares how we live. That's a crazy revelation in 2023, but God cares. God has a standard for a reason. It's not to be mean, it's not to be restrictive, but it's to call us to a higher level of living that is the optimal level of living. See, we as Christians, we're teleological people, which means this, we believe because there was a creator, there's a purpose behind the creation. It wasn't created on happenstance. It wasn't created for no reason. And if it was created for a purpose, the best way to live that out is the purpose that was intended by that which created it. And that includes how we live in our body. So Paul is reminding the church and he says this powerful phrase, such were some of you and that you have been set free is what he's saying. You were washed, which means you were baptized. You were justified, which means you've been made righteous. You've been saved. And then you were sanctified. And this is what we're going to focus on today. Because sanctified is the process to be set apart or made holy. So what is holiness? Do you know that holiness, we like to like say God is love and he is love. But I think God is described as love like three times in scripture. Do you know God is described as holy almost 900 times? So it's a key attribute of God's character and God's being that he is holy. Holy and holiness is mentioned throughout scripture. It's it's such a key word and understand, and it's an attribute of God that we must understand. Holiness is the separation from that which is unclean and the setting apart for that which is pure. God's chief attribute is his holiness. It's his character, it's his essence. 
it makes him separate or distinct from his creation. Or as the kids would say, he's just different, right? He's different. That's what holiness is, is God is something other than us. He's different than us. He's separate than us. He is consistent. How many of you are consistent? Not me, right? It's like, how can I be holy? I can't even like get a hang, I can't even get a hold of my emotions, you know? One moment I'm screaming at my kids, the next moment I'm not trying to hug them. I'm sorry, I love you, you know? We're not even consistent as beings, right? But God is consistent. God is not a, like an emotional roller coaster. God is not changing his mind. God is not schizophrenic. God is so consistent. God is so steady. God is so faithful. That's what makes him holy. Is that God is consistent. God's character is the standard of moral perfection. So in Leviticus, when it says, be holy as I am holy, it wasn't just like, you know, be holy as I am holy, but it's like, I, I know you can't actually be holy, right? Like, I know I don't, I don't really mean that. Sometimes when we read that verse, it says, be holy. Or what would Jesus says this, be perfect as I am perfect. Why would he ask us to do something and then be like, hey, I don't really mean it. Don't try. It's okay, don't worry about it. No, he set the standard saying, hey, this is the standard that I am asking you to live by. Now, all of us know, and we'll get into this, that it's not by our own effort that we can become holy, is it? It's not by our own trying. It's just gotta be holy, you know, and we're gonna get into that. Like that, that went through the church in like the 90s and the early 2000s. It's like, we gotta be holy. It's like, <laughs> something's wrong with you, right? And we'll get into that. Like what, but, but, but I do believe that God empowers us to live a holy life, a life that is set apart. So it's not only is it the definition of God's character, but it is also God's desire to, to bring holiness out of the believer. It's God's desire to bring, to bring his holy character and make it a part of our character, to make it a part of our nature, to make it a part of our life and our livelihood. And our goal in the Christian life is conformity to God's image. And God's image is holy. God's image is consistent. God's image is steady. God's image is set apart. So in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, Paul makes a case for the greatest ways for us to display holiness, to live in holiness as believers, is how we handle sex. It's the, it's the greatest way. How do we handle this very intimate, the most intimate relation that we have as human beings really puts on display how we are living in holiness. For the single person, holiness is displayed in your chastity or let me use it in kind of a modern term, in abstinence or not having sex. Holiness is displayed for the single person by your chastity. And for the married person, holiness is displayed in our unity or the two become one flesh. And we're gonna flush this out. So that actually as married people, we are putting on display and we are actually living in holiness when we come together as a married couple. The opposite, though, is for a single person. Holiness is not how close of the line you can get. It's actually the further away you get is how you are empowered to live holy. It's in your chastity. It's not a curse, right? We think of like a chastity bell. It's like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's crazy. Like the medieval times were serious about it. We're not gonna make you wear that, single people. Amen? Because God empowers us from the inside out. Because in the New Testament, it, it really is a, 
it's something deeper. It's an inner state of freedom. It's living in harmony in the, with the perfection of God. So the, the, the key verse here in, in 1 Corinthians 6, or the key phrase is, do you not know? Do you not know? This is a language of revelation, is what he's saying. Paul, essentially what Paul is saying is, this is nothing new. You should already know this. And this is what I would, I would say here in, this, in our day and age. It's like, this isn't new. We understand what Christians believe about sex, right? But sometimes we need a refresher on what we already know. Because it's actually within revelation that we can live in holiness. We cannot live a life that has not been revealed to us by the Spirit of God. But when it is illuminated to us, what we get is we get infused with the power to live out that which God has revealed. So Paul makes the statement, do you not know? Do you not know? He says this six times in chapter six, but three of them are found in the last eight verses. So what I want to do is I want to look at the last eight verses of chapter six and see how do we live in chastity. So the first part of this is going to be for our people who are not married. But the beautiful thing is if you are married, you can get a deeper understanding and a picture of how does God see sex. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter six. Get ready. I'm telling you, there's some crazy stuff in this verse. I love it. I'm like the type of person, I'm like, dang, like it shocks your system, but I'm kind of like a, I love it, yeah. You know, it's like the one guy, he's like on the football team who hits his head with the helmet. I don't know what's wrong with me, but it is what it is, okay? First Corinthians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 12 says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Here's this phrase. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? This is a revelation. He's saying you should know this. But let's bring it back. To, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So the first thing we have to understand and how we live in chastity, how do we live in holiness if we are not married? If we don't have the ability to have a sexual expression, which we believe is within marriage. Well, the first thing is you have to understand is you have the power to do it. Because sometimes we think, well, I, I'm, just, I'm just human. And we are just human. We're not like superhuman. We're not robots. We're not like, I don't feel anything. I don't care. I just love Jesus. No, we know that there's cravings and desires. But, but what Paul is trying to bring attention to is exactly that. He's trying to bring like, yes, those are there. But there's, now you have the fighter's edge. See, there was people in the church in Corinth that kind of had this idea because we were set free by grace through faith, we can kind of live however we want. And it didn't matter. So that's why the phrase was for the, this libertine party was, all things are lawful for me. They put it on their Instagram. I can do what I want. God loves me. Right? That's what that means. All things are lawful. Hey, there is nothing off limits. There's nothing off limits. And Paul then adds to this phrase. He says, yes, all things must, may be lawful, but not all things are helpful. And he says, I will not be dominated 
by anything. Food is meant for the body, so I'm supposed to eat, but I should not be dominated by my eating. And this is what he's trying to say. Yes, it may be in your biology to desire to have sex. That's not the sin, by the way. I remember being like, well, why do I want to have sex so bad? It's like, because you're a human. And God created you that way. God is not apologizing for how he created us. But because of Jesus, he gave us the ability to now not be dominated by it, but we can now rule and reign in life. See, I think sometimes as believers, we say, well, you know, this is just who I am. This is just how I was created. I just, I don't have control. And, but what, what he's saying is, no, you actually can have control. You can live in self-control. You can live a life that is filled with power. And how is it? It's saying the power that resurrected Jesus from the dead has been given to you. So we're not like weak and ineffective in this area, not because of our own strength, but because God has given us his power. And this is the thing. Sometimes when it comes to holiness, it's all about like what we have to die to, isn't it? I was like, I can't, I can't think about that. Like back in the day, we had these uh, rubber bands that said purity on them. And it's like, you know, I don't think this was the intention, but it's like, if you had like an impure thought, you like snap yourself. So there's like that one junior higher whose wrist is like super red. It's like, we know what you're thinking about. That's jacked up, you know? He's like in service. Like we had purity rings, right? I had like four of those. I'd always happen to lose it, you know. Well, I would feel bad. I was like, I'm not being pure. So I'd like throw it away. You know what I mean? Like you happen to lose it. We have all these things that would remind us of our purity. And like, you got to stay pure. You got to stay pure. And it's all about like what we're dying to, right? Just like you die to those thoughts. Take control of those thoughts. And that's, that's not wrong, but it's also from the wrong perspective, because if we don't realize that we are first alive, we will never be able to die. See, I think the focus too much is on what we're trying to refrain from and not who we are empowered by. Thus, the, re like the refraining becomes just our effort and just us trying to be holy. But what Paul is saying is you have the resurrection life in you. So this is really, since Jesus was alive and he died, we now can be made alive so we can die. So it's not until we are made alive in Christ that we can die anyways. If we don't have Jesus, then, then we, we, we are helpless. We don't, if we don't have the resurrection, but when we are made alive in Jesus, we can now die to ourselves. I cannot pick up my cross unless I'm first regenerated. I, I cannot live in holiness unless God first has made my spirit alive. And so it's because of the resurrection power of Jesus that we now have the fighter's edge and it's not, we are no longer dominated by these things that used to dominate us. We can, we, we can rule and reign. We are called to be kings and we are called to be priests. So the second thing is this. The first thing we have to understand is we have the power. We're not helpless. But the second thing is this. For us, 1 Corinthians 6, 16, it keeps on going. Or do you not know? that he is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 
what Paul is emphasizing here, the, the profound and deep effect that sex has on your entire person. That's what he's trying to say. Uh, at this time, casual sex was going to see a prostitute. I know that's like intense, but that is what it is. In Corinth, that was how they had casual sex. They didn't have Tinder, you know, they didn't have Bumble. I don't know the other ones, but like today it's a little different, right? It's like swipe right, swipe left. It's like, I'm not seeing a prostitute. Relax, Paul. It's like, okay. But what he's trying to bring attention to is that, that, that sex has a deep, profound effect on your entire being. There is no such thing as casual sex is what he's trying to say. There's no such thing. It's not, it's not a reality. It affects not only your entire being, but also the entire being of the person you're engaging it with. Sex has a profound effect on the human condition. You can look at brain studies and you can see how, brain, how it actually affects the development of the brain in young people. How porn has affected the brain of a generations. Stanford did a study on pornography and the brain of someone who was addicted to meth and a person addicted to porn was exactly the same. Because it is damaging our in internal life. And that's what Paul is trying to say. We read over that verse and we kind of like skip over it because it's like, ah, that doesn't apply to me. No, it does. He's bringing a deep, profound understanding of what sex is. I love this paraphrase from Lauren Winner, who is uh, at Duke University. He says, do you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? That is what Paul is saying. Your body is saying, I'm committed to you. Your soul, your spirit is saying, I'm committed to you, whether or not you are actually making a commitment to that person. This is a, we have to understand that sex is not just physical. It's not. It's not just about pleasure. It deeply affects our entire being. It can disrupt our spiritual life. It can disrupt our emotional well-being. It can disrupt these things and we can feel disconnected from God and be like, God, I thought you forgave me. I thought you forgave me. I thought you forgave me. He's like, I do forgive you. That's not the problem. Living in holiness is not about God, whether or not he forgives you or not. It's about actually living in connection with the, it can disrupt your spiritual connection with God. It can create distance. And sometimes like, I don't know why I'm distant. And God is saying, no, there's some things in your life that are not holy, that are not in the way that I created them. So then he tells us this, he gives us a tip. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Second Timothy says, Paul says, flee from youthful lust. I was a youth pastor for many years, and the number one question I get from young people was, how far is too far? Right? What are they asking? What are we, we've all asked that question, by the way, before we were married. Don't, we can't act like we're like better than everyone. <laughs> right? You married people. I know it's been a while, but you probably asked the same thing. God, what are you okay with? Because I'm really, I'm trying to figure this out right now in the heat of the moment while we're making out. Not the right time, right? <laughs> How far is too far? It's like, what you're asking is, what can I get away with? And really, when he says flee youthful lust, the power in living in purity as someone who is single is not what you can get away with, but how far you can get away from it. You are empowered more the less you play with the line. 
I know it seems like crazy, but that is what Paul is saying. He's like, flee from it. And it's not about what you're running away from. Like, I mean, I can't believe I can't do this and I can't. No, it's who you're running to. And as you are running to Jesus and you're clinging to who he's called you to be, guess what? This doesn't seem quite as dominating as it used to. It doesn't seem quite as enticing as it used to because I am so now pursuing that which pursued me and his name is Jesus and I'm running away from it. I'm saying, okay, God, in this season, I give myself wholly and completely to who you've called me to be. And it's not, this is a big deal to you. So it's a big deal to me. So I'm going to run after you you and I'm going to pursue you. And it's not about what we can get away with, but how far can you get away? How far can you get away? Sometimes when it comes to holiness, we kind of are our own worst enemy. Like if you're dating someone and you're in the back of the car, like I get it. But my point is, it's like, we can't be like, oh man, I just can't control myself. It's like, no, you kind of put yourself in a compromising position. Oh, you're such a bad person. It's like, no, just use wisdom. Get people in your life who care about you to ask you, hey, how's that going? Are you guys going too far? Are you, what's going on with that? That's not a bad thing. Accountability is a healthy thing. In fact, when we are in our relationships isolated, we are set up to go after our own desires. So Proverbs says, the isolated man will go after his own desires. So when we have no one checking in on us, what we're setting ourselves up to do is go to places we really didn't intend on going. And we need to bring people in to that life. Okay, here we go. We're going to keep on going. Don't worry. There will be encouragement at the end. All right? It's all good. And some of you are looking at me like, dude, we just licensed that guy. Get him out of here. We don't want him. Send him back, right? Hey. You're stuck with me. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this. Or do you not know... The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Listen to that. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your bodies. Our bodies are not a prison. They're a temple. They're a place that harbors the presence of God. In fact, how we handle how we live in our bodies also brings people into the presence of God. We carry the presence of God everywhere we go. And Paul is bringing to, 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 the, to this point, he's saying, hey, you're not your own. You, yes, you're independent and you have the free will to make those decisions. But if you have chosen saying, I am serving Jesus, I'm following Jesus, it's no longer like I'm serving Jesus. So now I'm going to thank you for the forgiveness, but I'm going to live how I want. That's why when Paul identifies, when he talks about his relationship with Jesus, he says, I'm a doulos or I'm a slave. I, I, I am in service to him. What he says is, I do, is what I do. And in the day and age of we can do what we want with our body when we want to do it, this verse is now ever more pertinent for us, right? We are not our own. Christ paid a great price for us and not just for our spirit, not just for our salvation, but for us to live in holiness, God cares about how we live, not because he's controlling, but because he's a good father. 
And a good father cares about their children living the best life that they can live. He is calling us to a standard that brings us to a place of healing, that brings us to a place of hope, that brings us to a place of joy. And we have to trust that his way is better than our way. And we have the person of the Holy Spirit within us. I don't want to make the Spirit just a feeling today. I want to emphasize on Pentecost Sunday that Holy Spirit is a person. Why is that? Because sometimes when we only make them a feeling, we can kind of manipulate the feeling and say that was the Holy Spirit. I remember being a youth pastor and this kid was like, hey, uh, me and my girlfriend want to have sex. I said, I you know, would advise against that. That's, you know, this is what the Bible believes. Yeah, but we prayed about it and we have peace. And I was like, that's not peace. That's called being horny. I get it. But that's like, we can't mix up the two a little bit. Like, God, I have peace. I know this is it. She's the one. I know you feel that way, right? So peace, like we can't just make the Holy Spirit just a, a kind of undefinable feeling. We have to know that he's a person that resides within us and he wants to lead us in every area of our life. And he cares about how we live. And not only does he care, but he will empower you to live the way that he is calling you to live. He's doing all the heavy lifting. We just have to yield to him. We just have to obey him and say, okay, God, I don't understand it. This is what I feel, but I trust in you. This is the last thing I'm gonna say about this. And it's to, to our, those who are single. Your singleness is not a curse. It's a gift. If you are not married, it is a gift. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, and Paul says this, I wish that all were as myself am, which means he's single. So he's saying, I wish all of you were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of the other. So he's speaking of marriage and singleness. And he didn't say like, hey, married people just, you know, feel bad for our singles, right? You'll get there one day, sport, you know. No, he actually held them both in the same space. Marriage is a gift, but so is singleness. So is being not married. And this is the thing. Sometimes when we are single, we try to live as if we are married and we lose the anointing for it. We lose a grace in our season because we're trying to live as if we're married. And then married people get married and then they want to live as if they're single. And we have to live within the gift that God has given us where we are right now. Paul holds this gift highly. You have the freedom to focus fully on ministry. What has God called you to do? See, sometimes we think when we get married, that's what we discover what we're called to do. But I would encourage you, discover what God has called you to do before you get married. Because then you can, dis you can run with the person that's going in the same direction. We need to know that we can focus fully on ministry. We can build life-giving, fulfilling relationships while being single. We can build life-giving friendships with those who are, we are in community. We cannot be single and do it alone, just like we cannot be married and do it alone. It says this of David and Jonathan, that their spirits were knitted together that he actually had a deeper connection with him than anybody else. Why? Because they had a covenant, life-giving, spirit-filled friendship that protected one another and the gift and the season they were in right now. Singleness is a gift. It's not a curse. And it's not just to be endured, but it's meant to be enjoyed. And this is what I think. As we are in one season, if we just are enduring our single season, waiting until we get married, then you get married and you start enduring that too. 
You have to learn how to enjoy the season that you're in and not try to live in front. Don't put the cart before the horse. Enjoy where we are at. Build healthy friendships. Build life-giving community. Pursue your calling. Pursue your Young adults in this church who are not married, you guys should be filling this serve team. You guys should be serving more than anyone. Why? Because you got the time. You should be, you should, hey, what can I do? I, well, I just want to serve. I want to give. I want to build the house. I want to build the community. Why? Because when we are married and we have kids, now our ministry, our first priority, like, like Michael and Gabby, it's first our marriage, then our kids, then church. But when you're single, come on. I remember I was single. I would, my car smelled like Little Caesar's Pizza until I totaled that thing. <laughs> just saying. It would be floor to ceiling packed with Little Caesar's. And I would go to Ventura High School and I would pray with kids and I would give them pizza. And that's what I, when I was single, every, all I thought was ministry. Now, ministry doesn't have to be confined to just the four walls of the church. What is God calling? Are you discovering who God has called you to be on this earth? And if you never get married, you were not shortchanged in this life. Celibacy is a beautiful, amazing gift that God has given to us. It is not a curse. Amen. All right. Now I'm going to talk to our married people. Are you ready? It's going to get a little spicy. Just a little spicy. I was just in Louisiana this week, had some spice, and so I brought it here, all right? Just letting you know. First Corinthians chapter 7, here we go. So how do we live in unity? If we've looked at how do we live in chastity, how do we as married people live in unity together? How do we come together and actually be unified? It says this, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Verse three, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and is likewise the wife to her husband. Verse four, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. We like to pause right there, guys. It's like, see, told you, right? I've got needs, man, I've got needs, right? But the verse continues and I love it because Paul just like, in, the, in this, in the Corinthian church and in, in this time in, in this next phrase, flipped the world upside down. Everyone agreed with that verse, that the man had, like, had authority over the woman's body. Everyone was like, yeah, amen. <laughs> but this next one was so countercultural, it was crazy. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex is the most intimate form of physical union, and it is meant to express the ultimate form of personal union. So the commitment matches the commitment. Does that make sense? I'm committed to you, in every way, so now I'm committing my body to you in every way. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to say reciprocally to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. It is meant to build trust. It's meant to build unity. It's meant to build strength. It's meant to be an anointing for us to be holy. For the, for the, the married person, our, our, our grace to live a holy life is having sex with our spouse. And we're going to get into this because it's not just the physical act either, though. Just as much as 
when Paul says that, that it's not just a physical act, you can't just casually do this. The same is with marriage. You have to understand what is he actually saying? Coming together in unity in one flesh, is, it becomes our grace for holiness. It's realizing that it requires giving everything of your being, body, soul, and spirit to one another. It's, it's to give of ourselves to one another. So the word for sexual immorality in the New Testament is the word pornea. And yes, it sounds like porn or pornography because that's where we get it from. It's pornea. And it really means this. The essence of this word is treating a human being as a thing for your own use. That also includes marriage. Sex is not just a physical act. It's something that's so much deeper. In Jesus' name. That scares me. I'm jumpy. I'm telling you. The devil doesn't want you to hear this. Like, what? It's not the devil, Jake. It's the air conditioning. Whatever. It's the devil. All right, let's get back on it. Pornea, right? Unity in marriage is not just the physical act, but it's emotional and it's spiritual. And Jesus says this about adultery. You remember what he says? You say adultery is sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse. I say it begins in your heart. It's lusting in your heart. Jesus brought a deeper depth to adultery. So I think we should as well. Adultery, probably many of us in this room, we may not even consider ever physically going, stepping out on our spouse. But Jesus says adultery is not just the physical act, but it's, it's the internal devotion as well. When we come together, we are devoted internally and externally to one another. And when we come together as having sex, we also should be considering what does this person need? So as men, we should be considering what does my wife need? Not just physically, but everything. Am I feeling her emotional tank? Am I feeling her, feeling her spiritual tank? And vice versa, because that what creates a better union together is that we aren't just viewing this as a physical act, but we understand that it is holistic. And Jesus says it begins in the heart. Understand this. There's a study that shows that two thirds of Christian men will watch porn at least once a month. That is the same amount as someone who's not a Christian. Two-thirds, I know, it's like, we think that adultery is just the physical act. Can I pose today that every time we stray in that way, that also is committing adultery as well? We are bringing somebody else into our marriage bed. It may not be physically, but it is in our mind. And gentlemen, this creates distance between us and our wife, whether they know what you are doing or not. This is an epidemic of epic proportions. It's invading the spaces of our lives and of our marriages, and it is destroying them. Some men in a study show that they prefer online rather than the touch of an actual person because we have trained our brain. It's called neuroplasticity. We can train the pathways of our brain to crave something 
And what begins to happen is the enemy begins to bring division in our marriages, not because we aren't coming together physically, but because we are allowing ourselves to stray emotionally and spiritually away from our spouse. And when it says this, that you have authority over each other's bodies, it speaks of the word deprive it's, or, or to defraud or to refuse payment. So Paul didn't care that in the ancient world that men were in control. In, in the ancient world, men can do whatever they want with whoever they want and it didn't matter. So this phrase is saying, no, no, no. Your wife has authority over your body. You can't do whatever you want anymore, homie. You couldn't do it before, but you definitely can't do it now. And he's saying, hey, hey, you, you do not. And so are we defrauding our spouse? That's what I want to ask today. Now, are we, we, we may be those who are withholding physically because of different things. That, that's also defrauding. To not have sex with them. And they're trying, they're trying to be pure. It's like, no, I'm not, you know, it's like been, it's been six months. Unless the doctor said, no, that's not good. But also, men, I think like we like to focus on that when we talk about withholding sex, right? It's just not the physical act. I want to go to, to, to a space that's like, are we defrauding our wife by how we're strained emotionally? How we're strained mentally? Because what that does, it's actually shortchanging her. It's allowing somebody else into the marriage bed. It's allowing somebody else into this union. And there's a reason why we can't come together. It's not because of her. It's because we've allowed our mind to go to places it was never meant to go. The same is true with, with, with wives. Are we emotionally invested in our man? Are always fantasizing about somebody else? Man, that guy's got a six pack. <laughs> Stephen Kill love handles, right? Like that's my guy. <laughs> right? You kidding me? It's like you're always like nudging him when you see the guy working out. It's like, see? It's like, oh man. <laughs> No, are, are we spending more time wishing we had a different partner than we had? See, this is what leads to sexual immorality in marriage or adultery in marriage, is that we allow not just our physical act, before we ever get to the space of physically cheating on a spouse, it has already happened in our mind. It has already happened in our heart. And, and for Jesus, you've already done it. That doesn't mean God can't heal or restore, which we're about to get to. But I just want us to understand the standard that, that the Bible sets for, sets for sex inside of marriage. God designed sex to be a powerful, unifying. It's not just about fulfillment, by the way. So sometimes you think, well, if I have sex, I'll be fulfilled. Having sex does not fulfill you because then you don't have to do it once. Right? It's like, oh, all right, I'm good. No, it's, not a, it's about it coming together. It's about unifying. It's actually about representing our relationship with God to the world. So when people look at our marriages, they should see that we are unified. We're not on opposing teams, that we are together and we are running together. And it is, this is the tool that God has brought us together. So we are to represent as God is with us now. And those who are single will be those who represent how God is later on, that he is now, we, we, we no longer are given to marriage in eternity. So we have to understand how we live in unity displays the unity of our God. And the tool that God gave us is to give ourselves wholly and completely to the spouse that we have. 
that we come together and it's a beautiful tool that bonds us, body, soul, and spirit. And anything that God creates, the enemy wants to distort and destroy. He wants to bring confusion. He wants to bring distortion. He wants to destroy the powerful tool that God gave us as married people to be connected in the most ultimate covenant here on earth. And one of the ways he does that is he gets into our minds and he tells us lies about our spouse. He tells us lies about our life and we begin to believe it. And one of the ways he distorts it, and this is true, is whether you, because sex affects the other person. We already talked about that. Sometimes it's sexual trauma because of somebody else. And it's distorted your view of this thing. So you want to give to your spouse, but you just, you can't. That's real. That's not fake. That's a real thing. Sexual trauma can inhibit people from expressing a God-given gift because somebody else misused it. Shame can withhold you from your spouse. Addiction can withhold you from your spouse. Yes, broke, there is broken parts of our sexuality because we live in a broken and fallen world. But what I want to talk about today is that God can heal those areas. God can bring healing to trauma. God can bring healing to shame. God can bring healing to addiction so that you can live as a married person, unified body, soul, and spirit. God wants to heal. The enemy wants you to hold on to it. God wants to heal it. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy, but it is worth it. Jesus didn't just die on the cross and was buried. And when he rose from the dead, he didn't leave his body in the tomb. His body was glorified and then he ascended into heaven, which means this, his humanity or humanity is now forever a part of the Trinity, which immediately it elevated our body. Immediately it elevated the value of our body, that one day our bodies too will be resurrected and we will receive a new body on earth. And as we will be, we should live now. That God has elevated and he wants to empower us to live in such a way that represents his holiness on earth. And that means bringing healing and restoration to our lives. So, so these are some practical things. Whatever is in the dark, the enemy has control over. If you are struggling with something, find a leader and confess to them. I always say this to my young people when we were in youth ministry. It's like, Sometimes when it comes to this stuff, it's blind leading the blind, right? We find the person we know is also struggling with the same thing. Dude, I'm really struggling with this. We're on the golf course. We're with the homies. Like, man, I'm really struggling. It's like, yeah, me too. All right, man. Let's figure this out. It's like, <laughs> not going to work, right? Find somebody who has healing, who has found healing. I remember being a high schooler, and I, I struggled with watching pornography. And I, and I got into it because I had an iPod touch, and if you're a parent... Don't give them those evil devices. And if they have them, put boundaries on them in Jesus' name. But that's another message. And I remember one day, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I threw away my iPod. I threw away, I threw away the things. And then the next thing I did, which was crazy, I talked to my small group leader. And then he's like, yeah, you need to talk to your dad. I'm like, um, yeah, cool. You guys have met my dad, you know. I'm like, Sounds good, bro. You know, I'll call you in a couple months. You know, <laughs> glad I got that off my chest. Right now, um, so eventually, finally, months later, like, I mean, it was probably six months later. My dad's coming home from a trip. and I'm like, all right, it's time. It's time. You know, so I go up to his room. I already start crying. 
right away. And I didn't just tell him that. I told him everything I did. I mean, I pulled out the laundry list for my parents. My poor parents were like ministering to people, pouring out their lives. And then right when they get back, I'm like, well, I did this with this person. I, you know, I drank here. I smoked here. I did that. My dad's like, what the heck? Like, what is going on? I shocked him. Um, and I remember the most powerful thing happened. The keys can come on up. I'm finishing. The most powerful thing happened. I thought my dad was going to be so mad at me. I thought he was going to be so disappointed. I thought he was going to disown me. This was the lies I told myself. And uh, I remember what he did. He was sitting in a chair and he said, here, come give me a hug. And he hugged me. And it was like, the, not just my earthly father, but the heavenly father was embracing me. And there was healing. There was shame that was broken off in that moment. Now, he, it wasn't that he'd never talked about it again. Right? You know my dad, right? <laughs> Five minutes later, the next thing he did is he brought me in and said, okay, let me ask you questions. What was going on? Who are the people you have? What are the boundaries you didn't set? You're gonna set up a meeting with Phil Venti, the purity pastor, right? So I did pure desire for like 25 weeks, right? And it was good. It was so, I would text Phil. Phil Venti was amazing. Anytime I would struggle, like I'm like a high schooler, he's working, I'm like, hey bro, I'm struggling. Always text me back, praying for you, it's gonna be okay. You follow up, hey, did did you slip up? Are you doing good? How's your focus? Boundaries are not restrictive. Jesus says this, if your hand causes you to sin, Cut it off. What does he mean? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What is he trying to say? Be so intentional and intense about the boundaries in your life. If it's the phone that's causing you to stumble, then get a dumb phone. Get a flip phone that you can't go on the internet. If it's the computer, then have filters. What is the area or the avenue that the enemy has gotten a hold in your life? It is not worth it. It is way better to not have a phone and to have a unified marriage. It is way better to have boundaries on your computer and be in love with your wife and be in love with your husband. But there's an intentionality and we've got to bring confession and bring healing to this. If you've had traumas, counseling is good. Go to counseling. The enemy wants to bring shame to something that God never intended to have shame. And trauma, it's a real thing. Do you know that women can actually store physical pain in parts of their bodies when they have an emotional trauma? It's a real thing, science has proven it. That for some ladies who've maybe been taken advantage of or something has happened in their life, it now brings a, they may not even remember what happened, but their body, it says the, you know, the, the idea, the body keeps the score. We need freedom in that. And if, if, if you have a spouse that's had that, be gracious with them. Walk through that with them, amen? Be gracious, sow grace and you'll reap grace. But there's healing for that. When he says such were some of you, what he's saying is you've been set free. You are free from broken patterns in your sexuality. You are free from broken patterns in your life. You're free from shame. You can be free from trauma. You can be free from these different things but not on our own effort, but by the resurrection power of Jesus. And we talked about what it means to be sanctified, but he says two other things. He says that we should be justified, which means that we're saved. We can never actually be free if we don't first receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus within our lives. It's just gonna be self-help from there. And then he says, you should be washed. That's why we're doing baptisms today. And, And I would encourage you if you say, I want freedom today, 
Go and get baptized. You can, when we stand to worship, go to the back. Get clothes on. Jump in. Get baptized. There's, we want freedom here, and we believe in freedom here. So you can stand to your feet this morning. I know this is a heavy message. But this was my prayer when I was writing this message, was not anything but this. I want God to bring healing to our lives. I believe addictions can be broken, traumas can be healed, shame can be removed, all by the power of Jesus Christ. So can we just maybe take a moment and close our eyes and maybe today you need to get washed and you wanna get baptized and there's a divine channel of grace that happens. I believe that when you're baptized, your old self is buried with you. And if you wanna do that today, feel free, jump in the tank, we're gonna baptize you. But right now I wanna pray over not just the married, but the single people as we close out this series. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are a good and holy and consistent God. I thank you that you're something other, that you're not just the same as us, but you're distinct. And God, you empower us to be free and to be whole and to be those who can pursue you in that way. So God, I pray over our marriages in this room. I pray over anybody who maybe has trauma, who maybe who has an addiction, who maybe is full of shame. I pray right now, I pray for healing in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray we break that off. And Lord, I pray you reveal the areas that have caused pain and hurt and you begin to bring freedom and healing and love and grace and the anointing of Jesus Christ that brings life to the dead parts of our being and life to the dead parts of our relationships. God, I pray over our single people and I pray for a supernatural power. I pray that the city church will be known for those who live in their chastity and their purity. We're gonna be known as those who live in our our unity, not because of our own effort, but because of your grace. So I pray for those people who are struggling right now and feeling like they're being left out and feeling like, God, why have you forgotten about me? And why haven't you given me this? And when God is saying, no, I'm empowering you right now to be who I've called you to be in this moment, in this time, in this space. God, we just worship you this morning. We thank you this morning. We thank you that you're a good God who cares about how we live, not to be mean or controlling, but you want to empower us to live in a way that we could not live on our own. So this morning, if you have never given your life to Jesus and you want to be saved and you wanna receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, if that's you today, if you could just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you could just lift your hand and say, you know what, I, I wanna start a relationship with Jesus that brings healing, that brings wholeness. I thank you, I see those hands. I, just, I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus. We're gonna pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me setting me free, making me whole. God, I give you my life, everything, past, present, future, it's yours. Be my Lord, my Savior, and my God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.